Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us who has the last word. Notice the voice of Jesus as the sound of many waters is symbolic of his majestic power and authority. All are being warned about the second coming judgment. No one will be able to challenge his judging authority. Everybody has a big mouth down here, not in heaven. None will be able to thwart his enforcing authority. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah who has prevailed. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Even Jesus himself asked the question, Who do men say that I am? Today, though many use the name of Jesus, there are few who really know him. But coming up, as he continues his study in the book of Revelation, Pastor Xavier helps us take a closer look at the glorified Christ as he unveils for us prophetic simple truths drawing us to the Savior. Let's listen. Revelation chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 9 through 20. Now notice the Lord Jesus commanded John to write in the book what he saw in the vision and commissions him to send it to the seven churches of Asia. None of the words in the vision recorded are his own opinion or suggestions. It's God's revelation, divine, and God's inspiration marking and ensuring the accuracy and errancy of it. In 12, John turned to see the voice that had spoken to him, and having turned, he saw seven golden lampstands. The Old Testament tabernacle had a seven-branch lampstand, but that's Jewish ground. This is Christian ground here. You find that in Exodus 25, 3. This is the book of Revelation. The lampstands John saw were seven separate lampstands, not one with seven branches. The Lord Jesus gives us the interpretation, by the way. They are the seven churches in verse 20. As you move through the book of Revelation, Jesus gives all the interpretation. We're not left to our interpretation. The churches are not the light in and of themselves, but merely the light holders for Jesus is the light of the world, John 8, 12. Only in this manner are the churches and a believer alike to the world, Matthew 5, 14. Notice John saw one like the Son of Man in the middle of the lampstand. In the middle, verse 13. One like the Son of Man, exactly like Daniel saw in Daniel 7, 13. Did not Jesus say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. The title Son of Man is used to identify Ezekiel, as you know. Our Lord took it up for himself to identify himself with the humanity of man. He became man, being God. He emptied himself of his glory, not his deity. Philippians 2, 5 on down to 11. Jesus used it over 80 times in his gospel. Psalm 8, 4 says, What is man? You are mindful of him and the son of man that you should visit him. Who are we that God would take time for us? He's a creator. He created us in his image and his likeness. We are way where we are fallen. He loves the world. Would you take time out for you if you were God? Now, if you're like our God, yes, you would. But if you're like any other God, no, you won't. Gods that are really no gods. Notice Jesus was clothed with a garment down to his feet, referring to the priestly dress. Back to Exodus 28, 4 and 39, 5 and many other places. The word down appears only this time in the New Testament, but seven other times in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew writings, all but one for the high priest. 
It was all prophetic of Christ, our true high priest. The garment is to the floor. Notice that. Having no need of girding it because the entire work of redemption is complete. When it says gird up the loins of your garments, you would grab your garments and put them in your belt so you can work and not get tripped up. Gird up the loins of your mind. Tuck them in so you don't get tripped up. Your thought process. Jesus is all the way down. Why? There's no work left to be done. In the tabernacle, there was no chair. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession, but he's resting. He's, he's standing here glorified, triumphant. The tabernacle had no chair. There was a bell on his garment. As long as he was moving, working, it was banging, bang, 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 bang. If it ceased, God struck him dead. Jesus was girded about his chest also with a golden band representing dignity, majesty, and kingly royalty. The golden band or sash depicting his deity. This is the God-man for you and I. Then notice in 14, the head and hair of Jesus was white as wool, as white as snow. This indicative of three things, purity, holiness, and wisdom. This is identical to the ancient days of Daniel 7, 9 through 10. Listen to him. I watched till thrones were put in place and the ancient days was seated. His garment was white as snow and his hair and head was pure as wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire. The book of Revelation, really a compilation of Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and many of the prophets. There's hardly anything new in the book of Revelation. It's all from the Old Testament. But it's put together in completion by Jesus Christ. Notice the eyes of Jesus were like a flame of fire. This is symbolic of penetrating vision, uh, being the prophet of Deuteronomy 18. This is similar to Daniel 10.6. Fire has the power to transform things into permanency or consume them depending on the type of material it is. You put hay or wood in fire, it goes. You put silver and gold, it gets refined. God is a consuming fire. He will reward us for the motive of our heart. Hebrews 12, 29. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. The motive, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. God is not impressed by how much you and I do or what we do. He's impressed on why and how we do it. Do I do what I do because I love God and I love you? If it's not out of love for God and love for you, the person will receive the benefit, but there will be no reward to you or I. He's not like, man, we get so impressed with people. We want to hang out with them. We want to rub elbows. Get germs. That's all you get from man. Nothing is hidden from him. No one can do anything without him seeing it. No one can escape him. That's the idea here. The threefold office Jesus holds, high priest, king, and prophet, is very evident with this last description. Then notice 15. The feet of Jesus were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. First, the description is indicative of his firm judgment. Now notice the difference between a lot of the church today. They don't want to make any judgments. They're moving with the political correctness of the progressiveness of the world. Brass or bronze is symbolic of judgment, Refine without air. All have been warned of the judgment to come at his first coming. Did they believe? No. All are being warned about the second coming judgment. 
Do they believe it? No. All those left behind after the rapture will see the consummation of God's wrath. If you're left behind, do not take the mark. Die for Jesus Christ or you'll be damned for all eternity. All will be judged for their deeds by the gospel without partiality and the secrets of men's heart will be revealed, Romans 2, 6, 11, and 16 tells us. You notice there's no silver mentioned here. Gold is deity, brass is judgment, silver is redemption because all the redemption has been done. He has finished it. He's standing glorified. <laughs> Notice the voice of Jesus as the sound of many waters is symbolic of his majestic power and authority. No one will be able to challenge his, his judging authority. Everybody has a big mouth down here, not in heaven. None will be able to thwart his enforcing authority. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah who has prevailed. Notice the right hand of Jesus had the seven stars. The seven stars, the seven angels of messengers of the churches, interpreted by Jesus himself. Once again, we're not left to our own interpretation. Stars are often symbolic of angels, as you know, which are simply messengers of God. Book of uh, Job 38.7, Daniel 12.3, Revelation 9.1, and many others. Here they have to be the pastors for the simple reason that the letters sent are to the pastors, not to angels. Angels don't read letters at the churches. So the context determines. The same word messenger for pastor, minister, but the context will determine what it is. Notice the right hand is the position of privilege, power, and authority. Jesus is in control of his church. Jesus is desiring to direct and guide his church. Jesus is at the right hand of God waiting to make his enemies a footstool. Psalm 110, verse 1. Then notice the mouth of Jesus had a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, representing war and perfect judgment, the standard, a plumb line by which he judges if you're a pacifist, you're not biblical. Jesus hates evil and he destroys it. You destroy evil. You don't allow it. You don't permit it. So you as a Christian, if you're a pacifist, you're unbiblical. The word for sword here is ramphaya. A long thrashing sword of destruction and judgment. Hebrews 4.12, same word, sharp two-edged sword. Revelation 19.15, coming out of his mouth. It is used of David when he cut off Goliath's head in the Septuagint of 1 Samuel 17.45. Because, you know, the rock didn't kill Goliath. It just knocked him out. And David didn't have a sword. So he went over, took his sword, and cut off his head, and then he walked around with his head the rest of the day. Jesus came the first time as Savior, but the second time he's coming as majestic Christ. King of kings, Lord of lords. Notice the countenance of Jesus was like the sun, shining in strength to the end of 16. He is the majestic Christ in fulfillment of the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 72. He saw there Moses and Elijah glorify the preview of the second coming. Psalm 2 says, why do the heathen rage? Why do they imagine a vain thing? He will laugh at them and have them derision. In his glorified, outshining splendor, his radiant Shekinah glory, there on the mountain, that's how he's coming. He is the glorious, glorious high priest, prophet, and king. The rock cut out not with hands, not with human origin, that struck the image of Nebuchadnezzar at the feet, and it all crumbled, and the rock grew, grew, and it overcame the whole earth, the establishing of his kingdom. 
Daniel 2. You remember Daniel received the vision of Alexander the Great and short-term and long-term the Antichrist that will bring havoc upon Israel. And Daniel 8, 27, it says, And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterwards I arose and went about the king's business, and I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. God chose certain people to reveal certain things. Not everybody, not, they did not at all times understand all the time. But one thing for sure is they didn't say, hey, dude, how you doing? Or say, hey, well, I'm just kicking it. No, they were afraid. They were in awe. They revered. This is what's lacking in the pulpits of America, reverence for God and his word. We want to be cool with the young people. How about if we would just pray that the young people become holy rather than us old fogies be cool? Jesus told his disciples, I will build my church in Matthew 16, 18. Anybody who organizes and strategizes apart from Jesus adding to the church, they're running a business in a corporation. And Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2, 3. Why would you want to go to anybody else? What's the vision of your life? Is it man or is it Jesus Christ? Is it your pastor, your church, its facilities, its accomplishments, its money, its radio programs? I hope not. Notice thirdly, the inescapable perception of the vision, 17 through 20. In 17, the response of John is seeing Jesus was overwhelming. John fell to his feet as dead at the feet of Jesus when he saw Jesus. This vision runs through the end of chapter 3, as you know. The natural response of all men in the Bible when they came face to face, and I can't say this enough, it was overwhelming, a sense of godly fear like Moses, Elijah, Habakkuk, Daniel, Amos, all of them. The reassurance to John was to strengthen him being overwhelmed. Notice Jesus comforted John by laying his right hand on him. Every one of you fathers know that. As your child is afraid, maybe they're going to take a test today. They've been studying hard. They've got a, a sports tryout or they got to go to the dentist or something, and you bring them, you bring them aside, and you say, hey, you're going to be okay, to assure that he would not die, first of all. This is God he's seen. And to assure him that Jesus was the absolute Lord of history and creator of mankind. Jesus then said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. The often repeated statement to the servants of God who were called and used throughout the ages. Why did he say stop being afraid or don't be afraid? Because they were. And notice 18. The reemphasized authority is declared to John by Jesus. Jesus says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive. Reemphasized authority. Jesus, the living and eternal one, he was once dead. For his entire ministry of being Savior and Lord is centered upon the atoning work through his death on the cross and his resurrection. Listen, out from the dead, Lazarus and others were brought back to life. Jesus was raised in a resurrected manner, glorified out from the dead. Very, very distinct. The error is tense indicates that Jesus was once dead in fact. Why? 
because people say it was a Passover plot. He just fainted. The people stole their body away. All these lies. No, the Bible says he died. He died in your place. He died for you. And he died for your sin. And he conquered death. Jesus said, I have the keys of Hades and death, knowing that he is the life giver and the life taker. Understand that. Revelation 3, 7, 9, 1, 20, verse 1, 21, 5. Jesus told Peter, and I say to you, your name is Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. In Matthew 16, 18, gates represent the authority of hell. The gates of hell, the authority of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ or himself. All authority has been given to him, invested to us. Hades, the place of the departed spirit, the twofold compartment. Jesus shared in Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus, place of torment, place of comfort. Jesus descended to the Lord's parts in Ephesians 4, 8, and 9, and then he ascended up on high. 1 Peter 3, 19 through 20 says that he preached through the gospel to those who were there waiting in faith, and he scooped them up in Colossians chapter 2, 15 through 16. He ascended up on high, made a public display of the demons. They couldn't stop him, and he took those to heaven. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8, instantly present with the Lord. So when you die as a Christian, you're instantly present. Your body goes to the ground. It'll be glorified when you get raptured, and if you die, die without the Lord, you'll be instantly presently in hell, in torment, only to be brought up and sentenced for your sins for eternal separation from God. Now, I don't know where you want to spend eternity, but I certainly wouldn't choose Hades. I certainly wouldn't choose to be against Jesus, but it is your choice. The white throne judgment in Revelation 20 will be the sentencing of those, not a second opportunity. Anybody who tells you you have a second opportunity, they're liars. Jesus destroys him who had power of death, Satan, Hebrews 2.14 tells us Jesus is the head of the church and fills all things, Ephesians 1.22 and 23. No one else. Notice in the last verse 20, Jesus reserved the right to communicate the interpretation of this vision. He repeats the vision to assure what John saw, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand in the seven golden lampstands. The right hand, again, symbolic of power and authority, absolute power and authority. The word mystery, mysterion, meaning something previously hidden, now made known from the word muo to shut the mouth. There are several mysteries. I'm going to give you all of the ones that are in the New Testament. None of them are concealed. They've been revealed. The first, the mystery of the kingdom of God, Matthew 13, 11. Not hidden. The mystery of Israel's blindness until the fullness of the Gentile comes in. Romans eleven twenty five. Not hidden. The mystery of the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation that was kept secret since the world began. Romans sixteen twenty five. Not hidden. The mystery of our uh, being changed in a moment. The twinkling of an eye. First Corinthians fifteen fifty one. Not hidden. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Second Thessalonians two seven. Not hidden. The mystery of the seven churches, Revelation 1.20, not hidden. The mystery of Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abomination of the earth, Revelation 17.5, not hidden. All that God wants us to know has been revealed, unveiled. Now notice the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. We cannot give it a foreign interpretation. The word angel, once again, appears 76 times in the book. 
the majority refer to literal angels, but an attempt to interpret that these angels for the messages to the seven churches are angels is wrong because once again, angels don't read letters. They are the pastors, the messengers over the seven churches. Simple. Jesus has the clear position of authority and power. Notice that as he's standing where? In the midst of his seven churches. He's aware. He's in control. He's directing and guiding. Jesus is the ruling king, the high priest, the prophet, is ever-present, overseeing, overruling his church to affect his church just like the sun. The authority by which a Christian lives by is that of Jesus Christ, not their own. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission. It's not the great suggestion. It says in your going, when you go, as you go, a participle. There was never any doubt of not going. The Christian is to be about the Lord's business till he comes, not comparing ourselves among each other to see who's the best, not thinking we're the only ones and not being discouraged because of the seeming delay. He is coming. He will be right on time. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, the context is Paul's infirmity for that thorn in the flesh, but that applies for everything. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things with Christ who strengthens me. What he calls me to do, not what I want to do. If he calls you, he enables you. The Bible is best understood if we allow the scriptures to interpret the self. The scripture interprets scripture. At times, interpretation is given to us like here. It's just straight out. Other times, we have to roll up our sleeves with good inductive Bible study through observation, key words, key phrases, so on and so forth, looking at the context, at the cultural background, looking at the language, and arrive at an interpretation comparing scripture with scripture. But we're always to do it dependent with a prayerful attitude and prayer that God would direct and guide us, never being confident in our own ability to do so, studying in such a way with an attitude that God sees our heart and that we are subject to the authority of his word, not our own authority. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 13 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Scripture interprets Scripture. To become more like Jesus Christ, to give Him the glory, and that you're His servant, not mine, You're not here to build my kingdom. We're here to tell Jesus Christ that to the church daily, such as he determines to be saved. This was the inescapable perception of the vision. What an incredible vision of the glorified Christ. Characterized by the impressionable voice of the vision, the incredible person in the vision, and the inescapable perception of the vision. Now, if you don't think you need this, glorified, unveiled Christ 
for today, then you've got another problem. <laughs> you need to be born again. Pastor Xavier Reese has been telling of the importance of heeding the simple truths and word of the Lord from the book of Revelation. And you can request a copy of today's important message titled, The Unveiled Glorified Christ. It's available on CD for just $4. And having your own copy makes it easy to share these words of encouragement with someone in your church or Bible study. The title to ask for once again is, The Unveiled Glorified Christ. Or you can simply mention today's date when you write, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station when you contact us. What happens when a church loses its first love? That's our topic next time when Pastor Xavier Reese brings us more insights from God's Word right here on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com